0: What is up, homies? Welcome to Facebook Live. I'm doing an AMA right now. Let's get a little bit crazy. We're going to be talking, at least off the bat, about how extreme ownership may be holding you back. Can't believe that one, but let's go deep on that. But before we do that, I want to announce that we have uh, relaunched or launched some new items in the store so go check it out. We have some amazing new apparel with some really, really cool self-signaling items. So go check those bad boys out. And we have a 10% off coupon that's going to be live from now until an hour after this AMA. So don't delay. It's a 10% off coupon. It is AMA Live. A-M-A-L-I-V-E for 10% off everything at shop dot impact dot com go check it out all right without further ado actually with a little more ado i will say that if this is adding value please do share it that's how we're growing the community and to anybody out there that is in new york i am leaving tonight not long after this ama i am jumping on a flight i'm coming to see you guys so we're doing a meet and greet i believe that we're at capacity yes uh, but we have, we have a waiting list for those that um, may want to see if somebody else fails to show up. Get on that waiting list. Um, worst case scenario, swing by the venue, say what is up. Uh, you can stalk me right outside the venue. Um, yeah, so we're going to be doing our endless Q&A. So for people that made that on uh, the list, I will be there. We will be answering all of your questions. And that event is Thursday, yes, Beautiful. Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, I'm almost certain. Okay, here we go. All right, the first question comes from the Connect Inbox. This is from Christy Ratliff. Can you talk about the tension between between extreme ownership and holding others accountable? Is everything my fault? How do I hold anyone accountable for their faults, or do I? Okay, so this is one of those areas where you have to be able to hold two competing ideas in your head at the same time. If you're not taking extreme ownership yourself, if you're not asking how you created the situation where people could be letting you down, where they're not living up to the standards that you've set for the company, or for your department, whatever the case may be, you you really will make the same mistakes over and over and over. You've got to look inward, you've got to look at how you've created that environment, how you're responsible for that, and the whole idea behind extreme ownership is really very simple, and it is something that I think people really fucking misunderstand. It is not about beating yourself up, it's not about feeling bad uh, for yourself, about yourself, it's really about understanding that you're in control, that in taking responsibility, you maintain that control, and that you're always looking for ways that you can do something to improve this situation. The flip side of that coin, however, is if in the organization you're trying to be a leader and all you ever do is look at how it's your fault not that you always look at how it's your fault because you should be doing that. But if you only look at how it's your fault, you're not going to be able to empower your organization or quite frankly, hold your organization to a standard where it is very clear what is expected of people. So you have to do both. And if you're only doing one side of the extreme ownership equation, it really can hold you back. And I find that some people do get stuck there and it, it no matter what your ideological sticking point is when you're ideas become real dogma, meaning that you're not looking at things in a nuanced and flexible way, you're gonna hem yourself in and you're really going to be missing the opportunity to have the kind of impact that you want. So extreme ownership is merely where you start. It isn't where you're going to end up. So you've gotta communicate to your organization exactly what is expected of them, communicate to them when they're not meeting those expectations in a very clear, real-time way. In fact, Chase is sitting right next to me, and I have to thank this man for introducing me to the Ray Dalio School of Thought. He did a TED Talk recently, which I actually think the TED Talk wasn't very good, but one of the concepts that he lays out in the TED Talk is so genius that it's worth sitting through the entire thing, even though it's going to require that you do some thinking after the fact to really make use of the information. But Ray Dalio is um, the founder of the largest, most successful hedge fund, hedge fund company in the world, I believe. Uh, Chase is nodding furiously, so we'll assume that that is accurate. Um, and they've created a piece of software in their company that was designed to solve a problem that he had, which was he thought he was very smart, but he knew that he was very wrong with a distressing frequency. So he wanted to make sure that he facilitated people in his company speaking up so that truly it was a meritocracy, meaning that the best idea was always finding its way to the forefront and that it wasn't just his idea because he owned the company, um, that as soon as he presented that idea that it would crush other people down um, or that people would be intimidated and afraid to speak up. So he created this software that allowed people in real time, non-anonymously. So man, your name was tagged all over your comments. So non-anonymously, you were going to speak up and say what you thought about every person's performance in the room in real time. And everybody was doing it to everybody. And you could, at the end of the meeting, see where everybody was ranking everybody else man, you want to talk about something that I was thrilled at the notion. So I've already asked my team to give me the most aggressive feedback ever publicly. Like I want to know what people think even when it's harsh and I am very happy. In fact, I would prefer it to be given publicly. And the reason that I would prefer that feedback to be given publicly, and this is a secret, don't tell anyone, I believe that's how people should be. I believe everybody should want public feedback, and that is very much not where most people reside, but I think that part of the reason that I've gotten where I've gotten, like you have to remember, I started as a fucking copywriter. I did not start as the owner of the company. I did not found a company. 15 years ago, I was hired as a copywriter, and I turned that into an entrepreneurial journey by always... Trying to be real with myself about where I was, about the level of value that I was delivering, about my need to outwork everybody, learn more than anybody else, to really push my skill set, and to always be judging myself not by my intentions, but rather solely by my results. So that meant that I couldn't hide from feedback. That meant that I needed to know when I was fucking up. I needed people to tell me. And one of the things that I realized in my um, skill set was serving me very, very well was my ability to self soothe. Now, according to Ray Dalio, meaning if somebody upset me, if they gave me feedback that really fucking sucked and it made me think less about myself or whatever, the emotional consequence of that, that I could rapidly get myself to a calm, centered, creative standpoint, re-engage. And my goal began to, could I keep that from even crossing my face? I couldn't stop it from hurting, stinging, whatever. It always sucks to hear you suck. So I knew that was going to be a reality, but how fast could I get myself back to where I could hear that feedback, I could usefully respond to that. So that's why I've asked my team to give me that feedback and to give it to me publicly. I also wanna set the stage as a leader, I believe, that we should all show people, by example, how they should take criticism, even when it is brutally harsh and the way that we should be doing that. And by the way, I'm not saying you should try to give your feedback in a harsh manner. I just want people to know, even if that is your feedback, even that is okay, even that trumps silence. I would rather somebody be a dick to me, not that I think it's good or smart or wise or even effective, but I would rather that than silence because silence is how shit gets super fucking weird and then people start bitching behind other people's backs and it's not even always about the boss. It's just about everybody. People bitch. That's what humans do. They gossip. It's a thing. Like even just looking into the research, gossip is a thing, but it is not productive. So I think Ray Dalio's situation is the fantasy land. I don't know how many organizations it will actually work in. I just don't know. Um, He says that 30% of the population simply can't handle it. They're incredibly bright. They're um, potentially very powerful people but they just can't deal with his system and and so they don't last um, at his company uh, but I was moved beyond measure by that so to me that's that balance of extreme ownership and yet making sure people know exactly what you think and feel about their performance in real time making sure that they have the information to adjust their behaviors to adjust what they're doing in the organization but they have to do the fucking hard work of dealing with that and I think that's entirely on them so remember extreme ownership is is something you have to do. And it's something that everyone else in your organization has to do. And I will tell you right now, this goes out to everyone at impact theory. If you're not doing that, if you're not taking extreme ownership, you're not upholding your end of the bargain. All right. Next question is from Daniel Bro. Our man, Daniel Bro, you can always count on this guy for engagement in the community. Awesome questions. Thank you, man. Facebook is where he's coming from to us today. I really struggle with what I think people are thinking of me. It's hard not to care, but something I need to toughen up and be me. What ways would you start putting this into action? This is a great follow-up question, which I will assume, Chase, you've done intentionally. So this whole concept of self-soothing, of being the one to do the hard work is, is exactly what you need to do. And And Daniel, I can see in the question, you know what you need to do. This is really about working on it. It's about believing that it's the right thing to do. It's about believing that this skill set is incredibly, incredibly important for everyone to develop. And that is the ability to recenter yourself insanely rapidly and to recognize that when your ego is getting in the way, it's because you're building your self-esteem around being right, being good, being powerful, being smart, like whatever words you use around, I'm cool and that's what I value myself for. You need to switch that to, I am capable of becoming cool. And what makes me amazing is my willingness to stare nakedly at my flaws and really adjust my behavior based on that and recognize that I can get good at anything that I decide to allocate my time and energy to. So if something stings and I believe that this is something that I need to get good at in order to achieve my goals, then I will get good at that. Now, that was a huge release valve for me. And I really want people to think about that. Like if you are not valuing yourself about who you are, but instead your willingness to become someone that you're proud of, right? The willingness to become someone that you're proud of, to put a sincere effort into that, that is the thing that you pride yourself on, okay? Not that you are already becoming that person, that you're willing to sincerely pour yourself into becoming that person. When that's where your area of pride lies around, now you become the learner. You're focused on getting better. You're focused on putting your energy into something. You're focused on not being dogmatic, to lowering your defenses, to hearing criticism, to recognizing where you're not good. And then like get stoked in that moment that, holy shit, this guy just slapped me about my head, neck, and chest, told me that I'm bad at something. And instead of Getting emotional about it instead of rejecting them or pushing back on them or coming to some understanding that they're an asshole, that they're the dumb one, that they don't understand my value. That instead of doing that, you say, That's awesome. They've just pointed out a weakness in my game. I've gotten this far in my life being bad at that thing. I am so insanely grateful to them to present me with that information regardless of the form in which it comes. So even if it comes in the form of an attack, what I feel good about, my very pride is built around, that I will hear that. And if I believe that they're right, because they're not always going to be right, or they're not always gonna be right about what moves me towards my goals, but if they're right and heeding their advice and gaining this new skill would move me towards my goals, I'm going to do that. And I am so proud of that, that I don't get defensive. That's how you feel good about yourself. That's how you become anti fragile. Everybody needs pride, but Daniel and everybody else, you've got to do that work. That is a daily thing for me. That is my obsession. And that's why I remember like, but when I first started becoming successful, like I was really gaining momentum, I was getting better as an entrepreneur. That was like that first realization of whoa, the skill set I'm building is so weird and so like hard to describe to people. But the thing that I think I'm really good at and this, this is the thing that I think really propelled me forward was I could self-soothe faster than anybody else. All right, next question. This is from Aaron lohman Jack on Facebook. How do you surround yourself with people who have the results you want? What do you say to them? How can I give them my expertise? People often throw me curveballs at the end of a question. Okay, so how do you surround yourself with people who have the results that you want? So first and foremost, you're living in the social era. This is the most magical thing about social media is you can surround yourself with their ideology even if you can't surround yourself physically. So get their books, follow them on social media, engage with them on social media, reach out to them. There might be a hundred, a thousand people that think in a way that would be incredibly useful. Go back, please, just because I have a second part to that question. Um, so the way that they think could be incredibly valuable to you and so really becoming a part of their world is potentially, if you're really engaging with it, really, really powerful. So get in that community, surround yourself not only with that person but other people that gravitate towards the way that they think and then if there's 100 or 1,000 people that think in a way that would be empowering to you, like write to them all. And literally just spend an hour, the first hour of your day, writing to people like this in the DM, in their comments, finding whatever it is that they think is valuable, delivering on that value. Like for me, you guys submitting these questions is incredibly meaningful. And if you were really paying attention, you saw, and I didn't even think about it. When I see Daniel Bro's name come across, he goes to my live events. He literally, he lives in the UK. He's come here to the US. He's engaged with me in the U S in the UK comes to like every event. He submits questions, all things that I've said, these are the things that are meaningful to me. These are the things that I want. If you want to deliver value, share my content and engage. Like I am over the top about how often I ask people to do that. So the people that do that, like a lot, those people are all over my radar. So to the second part, what do you say to them? Uh, And how do you give them your expertise? Expertise is probably the wrong word. If you had said, what do I say to them and how do I deliver value, which is actually what you wanna do, um, that's a way. So following some of the the people in this community that have just done an amazing job of heeding my call to share the content, to engage with the content, just insanely, insanely meaningful. Um, And by the way, and I'm gonna do this now even though it is far too late because I need to train myself uh, and you guys can watch how how I do things. Um, At the beginning of these Episodes, I need to remember, remind people to engage. So we're learning uh, obsessively about the algorithms on YouTube and Facebook. And one of the things that gets content shared um, by the algorithm is high engagement immediately off the bat. So a new ask that I'm gonna have regarding engagement is um, I'm gonna remind myself and remember to ask you guys a very simple question right off the top that you can engage with um, so that you dr- you're dropping comments in. So anybody, if you're a long time viewer, listener, um, the ask when you show up in these feeds, not only sharing it, which thank you guys so much, truly that is so meaningful to us, drop in comments. Hello, what's up? I'm here. I'm joining from the Netherlands, whatever, like something, anything into the comments. Um, obviously more than just like a period of punctuation or whatever, but even just a hello to the other people in the community is insanely valuable from an algorithmic standpoint. So that would be great. So back to don't worry about offering your expertise. You're trying to engage with people, um, that are, a step or two farther ahead down the journey than you, so more than your expertise, um, be delivering value. Now, if you have unique expertise that they are in need of, then that's also a grand slam. Like, hey, any designers out there? um, We are hungry for designs, and you can find out more about what designs exactly we're looking for. Uh, And we've finally, I'm not sure if Casey's here yet, but we've finally got all the contract contractual stuff that we need for you guys to submit designs t-shirt designs whatever the case may be um so that we can make sure that you also participate in that financially so we've got all that squared away all right next question this comes from meteor youtube is it possible you can lower your shipping rates on your store tom smiley face question mark uh it's expensive for people outside the u.s Okay, so here's the truth. Yes, we could lower the cost of shipping, but we would do that by making the item more expensive. So shipping for us is not a profit center so we are literally just passing on the cost and everybody has to decide exactly what they want to do do you tack on the amount to the um, item so if the item is normally 21 dollars, and let's say that the average shipping is seven dollars suddenly the item becomes 28 dollars, and some people psychologically prefer that they just want to know all in that's what i'm going to pay out the door and other people are like they're so turned off by a high number they would rather the pain be metered out over this is the cost for the shirt, oh, okay, got it. Oh, they're shipping, okay, no worries. Um, and then they add that on. I honestly, like, studies have been done on this. I think most people settled out that it's probably better just to cram it all into one cost. The reason that we don't is because we have a very international audience, and so the rates that we would have to charge vary depending on where you are. I think what we should be doing is detecting your IP address and then pricing items in um, one a local currency, and two, that it includes the shipping for you. And then long term, since we know at the end of the day, we should be working at all times to get the cost down, um, we need to partner with people that are around the world so that because we use a, a fulfillment model, so we don't hold inventory on much of our stuff. We do our top sellers, but it's very limited pieces that we actually hold inventory here at Impact Theory. For the most part, we work with a company um, called, Printful, thank you. Um, And Printful, when you order it, it's made and shipped. So we don't have inventory risk, which is a huge part of our business model, Uh, but it comes at the cost of higher, or I should say lower margins. And then right now anyway, we only have a partner here in the US, so shipping worldwide is expensive. All right, question from Daniel Breeze uh, on Facebook. Daniel Breeze is also somebody that engages highly with our content. Daniel, thank you so much, man. Um, I am loving the new knowledge trail. For those of you who don't know, we added the knowledge trail, which is everything that I'm reading plus like the last hundred books that I read um, on impacttheory.com so you can go there um, sign up for that you also get my notes by the way which uh, I was super weird about in the beginning they're literally the notes that I take while I'm reading the book which I had never taken for anyone else's edification other than my own uh, but hope that that's something people are really into so you can go sign up for that Uh, So loving the new knowledge trail. I'm super grateful for the ability to send you a question by email and thusly consider email a very valuable tool. Why have you repeatedly stated that you hate email? Only because it will be the downfall of Western civilization, even though Jared hates that because it's probably this is Holding two competing ideas, it's probably the most effective economic vehicle for us because it's the only part of the community that we own. In that, there's no algorithm that controls whether you see it, uh, which actually isn't quite true. And for anybody that's ever had to deal with spam filters, uh, you know exactly what I mean. But nonetheless, it's certainly more ownership than Instagram or Facebook. Um, most reach, I'm gonna I'm gonna call total bullshit on that. But we'll we'll debate that uh, after this. Actually, I know what you mean, meaning that of the people that we have in our ecosystem, we can reach them because we're not algorithmically, yeah, that is fair. Um, Why have you repeatedly that's why? I just diatribed about that. Uh, Actually, no, I didn't. So the reason I hate email, just to answer these as we go, the reason that I hate email is because it is a deep and abiding shame um, that sits on anyone who thinks that it is better to go into their email inbox to find out what other people think they should be doing with their time than to be self-directed. Now, we'll say it like this. I have such a clear vision of what I'm trying to do with this company that the odds that someone from the outside knows better what I should be doing with my time is exactly zero. That if you have a team that are in anything approaching walking distance to you, that it is so inefficient to send them an email because humans use email as a reminder system. So if they see anything in what you're asking for from them where you've left something out, like they need to know, well, how many people is this going to? They will just put it back on you. How many people do you want me to build this thing for? Rather than pick up the phone and say, hey, there's three things in your email that are missing. Just give me the answers right now and I'll give you the answer. So instead of worrying about deadly efficiency, they look for ways to make it somebody else's problem. And they, they stop thinking about it when they send that, hey, how many people does this apply to, knowing that you'll respond, and so that when it comes back into their email box, they'll think about it again, rather than saying, here are the 10 things that are important to my role, what I need to do for the company, and I'm just going to work my way down this list, and I'm going to be proactive, I'm going to get things moving, and I'm going to take the most efficient form of communication, which email is probably the least efficient form of communication. First is face-to-face, second is phone, Um, third is probably text and then a giant chasm of a gap and then email. Um, so that's why I hate it. Um, and I could go way deeper on that because that was actually a little bit of a clumsy explanation, but the way that people use email is just, it is death to efficiency. Um, your next part, I know you don't like that people open it and simply react. Exactly. Uh, since it is just a tool, the way we use it is a choice. Truth, just like social media, very true. Uh, Do you think you would move the company away from email considering your thoughts on it? Um, I think that there are two competing ideas. So the reality is that people email us and there is a certain amount of that that is useful. So for instance, as anti-email as I am, my assistant combs through my emails and makes sure that I'm not missing any major awesome um, opportunities. The reason that I don't do it for myself is it is inevitable. Something will catch your eye. It will be intriguing. People literally craft the headlines of the email to get you to click, which works even on me, even though I am awash in shame every time I do it. But you'll click in. You'll see what it's about. It triggers a whole cascade of thoughts, which then occupy your mind anywhere from a minute to an hour. Who knows? And so you go off on these crazy tangents. Um, So... I don't think it's possible to remove it, but it drives me crazy. When I hear that people here, keep in mind, we all work in one house. So when I hear that people in the company are emailing each other, I want to chew through something. Uh, It's crazy to me. They're never more than like 15 steps away. It's madness. Uh, So yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Okay. Next one is from Karen Black, Facebook. What would you say when dealing with clients, when an industry is changing, how would you manage your client expectations? Hmm, I'm not entirely sure what you mean by this. So I, So there there are several ways to read this. So one, anytime you're talking about where an industry is rapidly changing, I would say that um, Jay Samet has way better answers than I'm ever gonna give you. Read the book, Disrupt You. But in the book, he does not talk about managing people's expectations. He talks about capitalizing on that disruption, which is where I'd want you to focus your energy. But I can read between the lines, and I'm getting that your clients expect something that is absolutely outrageous and is not in any way, shape, or form touching reality. And there is a certain amount of getting them to, understand exactly what your process is and what they should expect. But hiding in my answer is the belief that the only path to, um, sustaining your business is to set the bar ridiculously high and then surpass all expectations. So I don't think that going in and managing your um, clients' expectations down and getting the bar below what you know you can deliver and then delivering more than that and being like, wow, see what I did? Um, That that won't win. Like In the long-term, you're going to lose because the only way for someone to win long-term to really dazzle people and to become one of the greats in your industry, which is how you're going to get more business and scale and all of that, is to do something that is truly extraordinary. So I would say, rather than wasting an ounce of energy talking people's expectations down, you should spend all of your time and energy getting so good that they will be dazzled no matter how ridiculous their expectations. And yeah, so that is certainly what I tried to train my team to do. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't hold the competing idea in my head that yes, I know that there are only certain things we're actually gonna be able to execute against. And if you throw things so far into the tree that every answer is, we're gonna terraform Mars. Like, I get it. at some point it just becomes so absurd that even you um, aren't gonna take the actionable steps or that it's gonna be so far off. So to give you an idea, we're building a studio that's going to be bigger than Disney. But I understand that right now today, I need to create amazing social content. I need to go speak at events and I need to do Q&As that last 11 hours and dazzle people and show them something. But that's that's the thing small today. it's I get it. Like I'm not throwing $100 million at the next blockbuster film. So I understand that we have to take these incremental steps. Um, but at the same time, I know what I'm working towards and it's extraordinary. So you have to do both. All right. Shout out to uh, Armando Marquez. My man. So, and your boy Chase had you golden covered. It's here, highlighted in yellow, everything. So shout out to Armando Marquez who ordered the shirt using Amalive code. So we're watching the back end. You guys are amazing. Uh, Armando, thank you, man. That's absolutely phenomenal. I love that. What shirt did he order, by the way? shirt. Nice. Get that IT shirt, all right, mad respect. Okay, Edgar B on YouTube, I can't find a drive for anything for longer than two weeks. I just quickly lose passion for anything. How can I find something that will make me want to get up in the morning? Okay, so here's the reality. You're not gonna find that, you're gonna develop that. And I really think that's the big disconnect for people here is they believe that this is about um, sitting in a quiet space, turning inward, being like an archaeologist, uncovering something that's been laying dormant inside of them, and now all of a sudden they've got the excitement and the motivation to go after it, and that's just not how it works. It is about sitting in a quiet space, but you're sitting in a quiet space so that you can get your mind in an alpha wave state, which is a calm and creative state that comes from a nice, simple, just breathe meditation practice. Doing what I call thinkitating, where you're using that calm, creative state to let your mind wander on, on an almost subconscious level, and it will kick up to your conscious mind the things that you currently. Find mildly interesting. And that's where it starts. It starts with an interest, and then you engage with that. So if it's dance, go take a dance class. If it's video games, sit down and play video games. And then you're going to find a way, which, by the way, I use those two as examples of things that people think are hopelessly um, their hobbies, their total waste of time. It's never going to be something you could build something around. And of course, especially in the world of video games, people have made just unimaginable wealth off of pursuing that. But it starts with not judging yourself, recognizing that you do get excited about it, that it's something that pulls you through, that it creates energy. The more you engage with it, it doesn't drain you of energy. And in that process, you'll see through engaging, if that interest turns into a fascination. If the more you engage with it, the more you want to engage with it. That's how we'll define a fascination, that it creates energy. So the more you engage, the more you want to engage. If it turns into a fascination, then you're going to gain mastery. Gaining mastery is hard as hell. It forces you to push through boredom. It forces you to practice things in a very disciplined manner to go through it over and over and over again. It's like, if you want to be a musician, you got to play a whole lot of scales. You've got to practice the thing that you're not good at. You've got to get that brain body connection. And it just takes an unimaginable amount of work. And if you don't love it, and if you don't have that compelling future of the music just flowing through you, if that doesn't excite you, if you want to be a professional video game player and the thought of being in an arena full of screaming fans as you trounce your opponents, if that doesn't get you excited, then that's not the thing for you. And there's an amazing thing called Whoop. Chase is the memorizer of who created this. Chase? I have failed me. You have failed me and yourself. So Chase? Oh, man, if you're right, I'm going to be so impressed. Gabriel. Gabrielle Autogen. You just saved yourself on the one-yard line. My man, you're a fucking stud. Well played. So she came up with this saying called whoop, W-O-O-P. Wish, outcome, obstacle, plan. This is how you, in the early stages, figure out whether this interest is potentially something that you could be fascinated by, deeply engaged with enough to really go through the process of gaining mastery, which is how you're going to see if this, how you're going to turn this into a real passion. Okay, so first of all, passion comes from the gaining of mastery. Over time, you stay excited about it. As you get good, you'll develop passion. Getting good at something and having a real skill set around it is, I think, a key part of passion. Okay, so Gabriel Ottinger. Autogen, Uh, whoop. So Wish, what do you want to come true? I wanna be a rich and famous video game player, fantastic. What is the outcome? I wanna be the best in the world at League of Legends. Great, now we know exactly what that looks like. What's the obstacle? I currently suck at League of Legends, great plan. How are you going to get good at League of Legends? I'm going to go be, um, I'm going to be an intern with Team Liquid, and I'll work for free for six months, whatever. I'll eat Top Ramen. I'll live on the floor of my parents' basement. Like, whatever you need to do in order to get your um, expenses to the quick, you're going to donate, let's say, 14 hours a day to Team Liquid, and then you're going to spend a certain number of hours actually playing, and you're going to do that for the next six years, whatever it takes. And you know, you work your way up the ranks. Okay. Awesome. When you look at that plan, is that exciting? Are you like, Oh my God, the thought of like being an intern at team liquid, that's insane. Like I'm so excited about that. And if you look at that plan and are like over the moon at the thought of that being your life, then boom, you're done. Like go get after it, chase it. If on the other hand, you look at that and go sleeping, at my parents' house? Like, I can't even bear the th- eating Top Ramen for the next year? Like, that's ridiculous. I, I just would never want to do that. And I have to play video games how many hours? Like, no, that's not at all what I want to do. Cool, now you know. And also keep in mind, on the field of developing a passion, there's the direct... If you love video games and you want to be a professional video game player, that's direct. It doesn't, there's no more way to be engaged in in video games and playing video games and being around video games than to pay them, play them for money. Um, but there's universe of. So if your skill set is, hey, I'm really good at accounting or I'm an amazing office manager, awesome go apply at a game company, where at least you're around those things. The posters hanging on the wall are those things. The heroes celebrated by the company are people that are playing those games, that the chances of going with your company to a major event that's centered around video games all becomes very real. So for instance, one of the people that shoots this show, mad shout out to Sam. What's up, Sam? Um, Works with Riot Games and League of Legends, and she loves, even though she's a filmmaker, and that's how she brings her talents to bear, she loves being around the game. She loves the people, the atmosphere, um, the types of people that are interested in it. Everything about it is just fun for her. So even though what she's doing is holding a camera, just like she does here, she gets to engage in the universe of video games, even though she's not playing or developing them. So there are many, many, many ways that your developed passion can be expressed in a way that is financially viable. And on that, I think I've earned a bit of a tasty beverage here. We're going to have a swill. All right. Knowledge cue from YouTube. I'm from India. What is up, India? And here are the opportunities to start a business and becoming an entrepreneur is less compared to America. So any tips to grow from here and become successful? Okay. So this is multifaceted. One is to find a way, come hell or high water, to go where you think there's more opportunities. So if that's America, boom, there you go. And there's people doing it every single day. Um, if you don't wanna do that and you wanna stay in India, then you're gonna have to be the generator of opportunities, which is how this stuff always works. Scale becomes the concern. So if you think you know, with, in fact, I'm gonna be recording an impact quotes on this today, thanks to Chase. So you're getting a lot of love today, you're crushing it. Um, Chase sends me quotes that I can use for impact quotes. He's one of the only people I've put this request out, which by the way, I don't know that I've ever put it out to the entire community. If you guys ever come across really powerful quotes, um, please send them to connect at impacttheory.com. Put impact quote or quotes, either way, in the subject line. Chase will keep an eye out for them. He will be the great aggregator of quotes things that are really powerful that you want to see me incorporate into an impact quote. If you're not already watching those, by the way, um, I love those things. They are fun to do. Watch them. I have to record three today and I need quotes. Um, So one of the quotes is around start where you are. So whatever you have access to right now, start with that and don't... So these are the two quotes. That, which is a quote from Arthur Ashe. It's much more eloquent than I don't have it memorized. And then the other one is... um, John Wooden, and basically paraphrasing again, don't let what you can't do get in the way of what you can do. So sure, there are all kinds of limitations I'm sure that you're facing. All of us face those. Don't let that get in the way of what you are good at and where you can start. And so what is that thing? Like, what could you do right now that's gonna create opportunity? And remember, people are always gonna get behind people that can create opportunities. If you can make money for somebody, they're going to support you. They're going to facilitate that because you can always trust people to be selfish. So if you can help further someone else's selfish desires, that could be a great way for you to get a lot of energy and momentum going. That was how I convinced the guys that would ultimately become my partners in Quest. Remember, they just hired me as a copywriter in the beginning. So I had to show them that I could feed their selfish desires to build this company, that I could be a very meaningful contributor to that. And so in that process, they just kept moving me up, promoting me, promoting me because I was feeding into what they were trying to create for themselves. So that's always a way to start generating opportunities. Also, you have so much connection now over the internet to find people, other people in India or elsewhere that are trying to create opportunities. You could team up with them. You can learn from other people what they've done. How have other people in other countries where there aren't the kinds of opportunities that there are in America, but they've done amazing things, what did they do? And so following their path, um, find those people, identify them now, follow... um, accounts socially that use relevant hashtags don't just get caught up in the motivational stuff. Like for instance, I don't think, I like to think my Instagram account is pretty damn useful because I try to give you more than just the trite shit. But at the end of the day, like I've only got so much room, but coming here where you can ask a question and get really specific answers. Um, something like that, finding people that are giving you those specific how to's, the really actionable stuff, um, that'll be really, really beneficial. So create that path. Model it after somebody else that's done something similar to what you wanna do. All right, Roman Hop, YouTube. Hi, Tom, quick question. Is the meetup tomorrow in New York City still going to happen? Hell yes. So in New York, I leave tonight. I'm taking the red eye, and then we'll be rocking it. Uh, there, 7 p.m., check my Facebook page for the event details. We have nailed down the location. You can find that, so go to my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Tom Billu. Uh, and you can get the details on that, but 100%, barring my airplane falling from the sky in a fiery ball of death, we will be doing that tomorrow. All right, Mark Weeks, YouTube, do you plan to scale your business of personal branding, meaning to train others to do what you were doing as far as answering questions or mentoring others? No, but I'll answer any and every question that you have just because that's not part of my business model. Um, but I'll answer any questions that you have. So if you have specific questions, Mark, uh, go ahead and submit those. I will tell you anything and everything. We have exactly zero secrets. Uh, we are trying to help people. That's, that actually, uh, is only partly true. I time sometimes when I give information. So there are certain things that I will hold back for whatever reason. Um, oftentimes having to do with partnerships that we're working on, not wanting to overstate something that I think is going to happen, but may not. So I don't want to, um, put it out, um, yet. But for the most part, like I'll just fucking give every answer that I have. Uh, Brenton Ward Facebook, hey Tom, I'm in the midst of a career change, but my mind is changing weekly on which direction to focus on next for the new business I want to start. Any suggestions on strategy to choose and stick to? Big love from Australia. What is up, Australia? Yeah, so here's what you want to do. Ah, dramatic pause for the tasty beverage. Okay. Um, What you want to do is you've got to figure out like, do you just lack grit? And if you lack grit, then you're going to have to develop it to really figure that out. Read the amazing book by that title, Grit by Angela Duckworth, which, Chase, you're going to continue to deliver just immeasurable value today. And tell me, did we add it to the um, book list? It's in the hands of the developer right now. Okay. So we're almost there. So, grit is becoming what's that? It is there. Look at that. We're live. So Grit is now on the list. Did we add it as, did we bump something or is the list now 26 books? Oh, wow. The book gets better and better by the day or the list. So 27 books on the list that you should check out. Grit is just Amazing, amazing, amazing. If I remember right, it's in the top five. might even be book three or four. Um, So check that one out. We'll really walk you through the process of identifying whether you have grit and you're just encountering things you don't care about or whether you lack grit and you're just um, emotionally intoxicated by the beginnings of things, which is where a lot of people get stuck. Um, The beginnings is always the most fun, but you need to move past that and you need to be able to stick with something. And I've already gone through whoop in this, but look up W-O-O-P. That will be uh, an important important part of deciding whether it's something that you should be gritty about or whether you should um, pick a different strategy. Um, so yeah, that's what I would do. All right. Ian Lepkowski from Facebook. How does business advice shift for an artist looking to sell creative works as opposed to a typical sales model? I don't know that it does. Um, There's always gonna be different tactics depending on what industry you're in without question. But like if you look at Iconic, which is a really interesting Instagram account which is just selling straight art. Um, And it's I-K-O-N-I-C or K, I can't remember, it's one of the two, Um, really interesting people. Somehow involved with a guy named Mark Brazil. Um, I don't know enough about these guys. But anyway, so um, I follow them because I think their artwork is interesting. And they are using tried and true social tactics um, to get people to follow them, enter their ecosystem, understanding it takes seven touches to get a conversion. Um, I'm sure they're building an email list, which would make Jared very, very happy, um, trying to add value to their community. I mean, all the things that make business today in the social age, very relevant. So they've got a value add Instagram account, which also happens to promote their products. The ideology of their accounts feeds into the ideology that's expressed in their artwork. Um, all of that like holds true, um, at the end of the day. And this is something, man, whether you're an artist or not, you need to fucking understand. You have to sell shit at the end of the day. And look, I get it. I'm talking to myself as much as anybody else. Like when you're in a business where you really want to help people, it is also fucking hard to say, go buy my shit. But I'm telling you, Go buy my shit right now. Go to shop.impacttheory.com and buy some shit. Like at the end of the day, that is, we are selling shit. That is how this works. You have to be able to become a self sustaining economic vehicle. Otherwise, at the end of this, I will stop doing it because it is a cash hemorrhage. You have to get to the point where people are, they would much rather have the thing that you're selling than they would their money awesome. So you're adding value. You're solving a problem. So you've got to find a way, like what is the problem that your art addresses? And that is a tricky situation. So you've got to figure out how can you tap into something where the person no longer wants your art, they need your art. And so all of those business principles, they all apply. Otherwise people just aren't going to buy it. Yeah, without getting into like bullshitty sales techniques, like you wanna answer that question. So how do you create that need in people? How do you get them so excited about you and what you're doing that they wanna buy it? So I'll say general business principles apply. All right, Ali, Tirani YouTube, hey Tom and the Impact Theory team, how can I help my girlfriend understand that she is way more capable than she thinks and be able to connect her with her true passion for success? Okay, so first of all, that passion is going to be something that is developed by her. It's not something that is on the um, or path. I guess is the word that you used. So that's got to be something that's real for her. And so there is no one size fits all. So one, you need to identify: has she already developed that? Is there a path that is really exciting for her, where that vision not only of where she's going but how she's going to get there is so exciting that it pulls her out of bed in the morning, it gets her moving. Uh, that's really, really important. And then. The way more capable part is really reinforcing behavior that you see that really is capable, that really does deliver a result. Help her focus on that. Remind her that she gets what she focuses on and then actually help her focus on that thing. So like for instance, when Lisa does something that I'm really blown away by that I think really feeds into the company mission, I'm gonna tell her like, whoa, that was really impressive. Your hard work on that is amazing. Look at the results you've delivered. I think that's really incredible. You're putting a lot of work and this is the result that it delivered. Um, I think all of that stuff is very, very meaningful. And so I'll give you a very specific example So um, Lisa and Cassie Ho started a podcast called the Sheroic Podcast, which by the way, Guys and gals, I'm telling you, it's a great podcast. It's very much female centric, but there's some really um, amazing takeaways, certainly a deeper level of understanding for guys about women. So regardless, at least check it out, go see what they're doing. It's really, really impressive. And so that's one of those ways I see how much energy and effort she's putting into it. And I see the result that she's getting in terms of people DMing her and talking about how much what they're doing on the podcast is changing and impacting them, getting them to think more differently, which at the end of the day, our job as a pull people out of the matrix. So whether she's doing that under the brand of Shiroik or she's doing that under the brand of Impact Theory is pretty irrelevant. It feeds really into the message. Also building her social platform is incredibly meaningful to the long-term success of Impact Theory. So as I see her putting energy and effort into that, as her numbers are growing, it's literally just taking the time to clap for that and say, you're crushing it. Look how far, much farther you're going, both in the measurable metrics and in the softer metrics of just the, the like, outpour of emotion that she's getting from people so that you know that it's having that kind of impact so i i take the time to focus on that and elucidate that for her and just make sure that she's focusing on that and that she's not getting lost in how difficult it is and how much time it takes so tactics that hopefully will help you as well all right keith koa from youtube how did you become such a good intelligent speaker from conscious training or from being in sports or something else Okay, so definitively, I have put more time and energy into getting good at public speaking than I've put into anything else in my life, including entrepreneurship. And I've put an insane amount of time and energy into entrepreneurship. But from the time I was in, say, seventh grade, to differentiate myself from my sister, who's very good at sports, and I was borderline spastic at sports, I once, this is an actual true story. Everybody lean in and feel my pain for a second. I once got the basketball in a real basketball game, people in the stands, and I got cornered by the team because I didn't know how to dribble very well. I turned my back to them, and I'm outside the three-point range, and I became so panicky that I threw the ball almost straight up into the air. It almost hit the rafters. Everyone burst into uncontrollable laughter. I still, if I see one of my friends from that team at that time, and this was, God, what was it, ninth grade? he, they'll still laugh about it because it was so absurd. Uh, that's where I was at sports. So despite the fact that I kind of thought I should be good at sports, I didn't have the discipline or self-esteem or growth mindset to practice and get good. Um, I had begun differentiating, my, differentiating myself through speech and debate. And by the way, will someone remind me to talk to Stephanie about that? Uh, that's something that we should include in the book. Uh, so yeah, um, that was embarrassing, but I. I began practicing getting good at speech and debate, and so um, by the time I was in high school, I was every day at my lunch table. So this wasn't like I was up on stage, but I wanted to get good at comedy. I thought my future was as a stand-up comic, so I would sit at the lunch table, and for the hour that we were at lunch, I would try to make people laugh. And my metric every day was: there's this one kid um, that really, really laughed hard, and my goal was to get him to spit something through his nose. So whether that was milk or soda or whatever, like I knew it was a good day if I. Get him laughing so hard that he couldn't even finish his drink. Um, that was always a goal. And so I did that for four years. So, for four years, Monday through Friday, for an hour a day, I was practicing stand up comedy, which is inevitable, uh, inevitably practicing being eloquent, not having unintentional breaks in your speech, not using a lot of ums and ahs. And then also, if there was any speaking things that the school was hosting or national competitions, I would do all of that. I was on the speech and debate team. Uh, I just practiced, practiced, practiced like relentlessly. And I put just a ridiculous, number of hours into doing that. Um, and then as an entrepreneur, it's something you find yourself when you're in a leadership position of, um, speaking a lot more. And so being intentional with that practice, having things like, I don't want to, um, and all at all. I want to get that to zero. I don't want to repeat myself. I want it like one thing that I practice a lot now, because it's something I think I'm particularly, um, still bad at. And I want to get really, really good at this is being able to go down a tangent, but holding on to what my original thought was and being able to get back to that seamlessly. Um, when I'm doing, Um, impact theory, the main show, the interviews, I'm always trying to do that. Um, Or even just sit quietly while listening to that person talk, but hold in my head where I want to take the conversation. Um, Very, very important. And I'm practicing that very consciously. So whatever you're trying to do at the end of the day, it comes down to practice. All right, Corin Davis, who's an amazing contributor to this community, YouTube. um, Can you talk a little bit about habit loops what they are, and how we can best utilize them. So the, the important part about a habit loop is the loop part. So any loop needs a trigger. There's several good books on this. Um, Nir Eyal has written a great book. And uh, I'm gonna forget, I, I think Nir's is called can't believe I'm blanking on the title of his. So I forget, it's Nir Eyal is the author. He wrote a book on habits. I'm, I'm forgetting the title of it. And then um, there's another one on the list called Habits, which I think is by Norman something. God, I'm really blanking on names today. It's terrible. Um, so anyway, check the list. At least one of them is on the list. Um, but there's great books out there regardless of the fact that I can't remember them, um, on habits. So you need that trigger. So what's going to be the trigger. So there's a case study done about what Kit Kat did, which was they wanted to tie KitKats to the habit loop or to the, um, trigger of coffee. So it was Kit Kats and coffee. And they did this whole campaign and it had a huge surge in sales because every time people thought about coffee, they thought about Kit Kats. So while maybe not great from a dietary perspective, really good from a habit loop trigger. So One that I use in my life is let your desire to criticize be a habit loop trigger to pay an authentic compliment. So, criticism triggering compliments. That's been one that's really, really been amazing for me. So um, yeah, getting into loops where you do something that's empowering, but it it needs that reminder. It needs that thing that kicks that off. So what is that? So for me, I put my gym clothes as another one right next to my bed. So the second that I get out of bed, the clothes that I put on are my gym clothes, which becomes the trigger to get my ass into the gym. So, and it's super weird. And this has actually happened to me a couple times where I'll put the gym clothes on and then remember that for whatever reason I can't do the gym, Um, I have to immediately begin preparing or something like that. And it's so like powerful being dressed in those gym clothes that not going to the gym then feels really weird and feels like a violation of my identity, which is a whole nother thing that I won't go into. Um, but everything that I've accomplished in my life is the result of identities, habits, and routines. So identity habits and routines. So, all right, Radha Siva. Hi Tom. Uh, so happy to see you again. You as well. Can you share with us step-by-step step to how to build an identity? Are you doing this on purpose? No. Really? That's purely accident? Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, so awesome follow-up question. The way that I build identity goes like this. I use one, I need to identify what is my goal? What am I trying to accomplish? And by the way, while manipulating your identity, changing your identity is very simple. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of consistency and to, to fail to live up to the new identity that you're building for yourself is really detrimental. So you, to yourself, to your opinion of yourself. So you need to be very careful what promises you make yourself. You need to be very careful about what you decide you're going to change your identity to. So I first identify my goal and then I work backwards to achieve that goal. What kind of person would I need to become? And then when I identify something that I really believe in and I'm really prepared to see through to the end, I'll say, I'm the type of person that I'm the type of person that. So if I want to, um, gain muscle, lose fat, I'm the type of person that, goes to the gym every day. I'm the type of person that is willing to suffer for my goals. And that suffering one is so foundational to any goal, but really to changing your physique, to eating right, because it is going to be hard. There is going to be a degree of suffering. So making sure that you build that in and then making sure that I feel good about that when I live up to it and that I feel badly about myself when I fail to live up to that. So I'm the type of person that goes to the gym. It's technically not every day. I only work out five days a week. I'm the type of person that goes to the gym Monday through Friday. I'm the type of person that is willing to suffer for what I want, so hey, when I get up in the morning, I'm gonna immediately go to the gym. Hey, when that rep gets hard, I'm gonna keep pushing because I'm willing to suffer and grind it out and get to the other side of that. So I use those, and then the really powerful part of this. Not only do I tell myself that I'm the type of person that I'll tell anyone who will listen. I'll tell my team. I'll tell my family. I'll come on here and I'll say I'm the type of person that X, Y, Z like doing that. Then you trigger congruence, the need to do what you say you're going to do. And then when you reinforce that by feeling good about who you are, when you do it and punishing yourself, yes, punishing yourself when you don't do it, all of that feeds into, man, I really want to feel good and I really want to feel like I disappointed myself. And you're every time that you live up to that, you're earning credibility with yourself, which is incredibly important. And you earn credibility... Through the big things, yes, but you wanna set micro goals for yourself. So a micro goal is just showing up at the gym every day, right, so I'm the type of person that goes to the gym every day. I'm not saying that I'm the type, in fact, this actually isn't a part of my identity. I'm not the type of person that shows up every day and fucking crushes it every day, no matter what, I don't do that because the gym isn't that important to me. So I was very careful not to make that a part of my identity. So man, I'll be the first to tell you, on a day where I'm not feeling it, Man, there's just, there's days where I totally cut myself slack in the gym. And yes, that becomes friction with, I'm the type of person that's willing to suffer from my goals for sure. But you, you begin to find this equilibrium where my physique, for instance, I am not going to be winning any physique competitions anytime soon, but I am happy with where my physique is. So My physique is an exact reflection of how important it is to me and I don't bullshit myself about that. So my physique is important, but it's not the most important part. But if you wanna know how much energy I'm willing to put into my fucking mind and develop that, dude, I'm willing to go berserk for that, suffer for that, read when all I wanna do is sleep. I can't tell you how many times, like for instance, I will get off a plane, off a red eye, I'll be fucking exhausted and I'll still read. And I'll take notes and I'll force myself to focus because that's how important it is to develop my mind. So the weight on me from myself to develop my knowledge, to develop my mind is unending. And I tie in my obligation to my team to building the studio. All of that is wrapped in this ball, which is why I say during the week, if I'm awake, I'm either working or working out. And every little nick in that is I feel it because it is so important to me for that to be true, for me to be putting that kind of time and energy into doing something. Okay, I could clearly keep going on that all day, but we'll stop there. That was a little glimpse into the emotions that I work up around it, all of it. Uh, Deanna, Dukova, Facebook, how can I be sure that uh, the goals that we have chosen correspond to our personality and would allow us to fulfill our potential to the max? how can I be sure that the goals that we have chosen? Um, So it's interesting. So this comes down to whether people think that there's an intrinsic personality or whether you think that you can develop, that you can actually develop something that will turn into excitement because you've chosen to be excited about that. I think that we all have predilections. I think there are certain things that we're definitively wired for, but just look how different people are from culture to culture in terms of the specific ways that things express themselves. There are clearly things that we as a species share for sure. So we can take those for granted that they are hardwired but the specific ways that we express ourselves from culture to culture. And I I say that very specifically because it's different than what people would call personality type to personality type. I think that there there actually are personality types. I think some of it's hardwired. I think some of it is what you decide is gonna be true about you over time. Um, But at the end of the day, going back to something we were talking about earlier, what are those things that create energy for you versus take energy away from you. If it creates energy for you, regardless of whether that's something that you have fanned those flames over time to really give a shit about, like for instance, I will tell you, I, I believe that I'm unrecognizable from when I was a teenager to now. When I was a teenager, I was goofy I wore si- I was a size 36 waist I, I wore size 54 pants because I thought it was fucking hilarious. I wore um, a big clown hat truly it was like imagine all however many primary colors they are cut into like little triangle pieces um, it looked like a fucking clown hat um, I wore everything that I wore I got for a quarter at the thrift store. Uh, that was like a whole thing for me so just because I thought it was really really funny I could not get laid to save my life because all I wanted to do was be funny and I made fun of myself all the time. It was self-deprecating humor. I didn't like to make fun of other people. So I just made fun of myself all the time. And then that seeped into my subconscious. So that was actually how I thought about myself. And then by when I went to college, I really wanted to get good at film. And I, I thought, this is going to be that thing that like is going to be the, the passion of my life. And I want to take myself more seriously. And so I literally changed the things that I was excited by. So it was no longer... Like I I don't get excited about the thought of sitting at a lunch table anymore and making everybody laugh. That's not exciting to me. So what excites me is the thought of pulling somebody out of the matrix. So that, like what used to excite me and what would have pulled me through the day when I was 16 is very different than what's exciting to me now and what pulls me through the day now. So those were decisions. But at the end of the day, the things that I try to make my life about are the things that are exciting and pull me through. So that that's how you should be looking at the goals that you've set for yourself. Like, do they create energy in your life or do they rob you of energy? All right, so we're here at the tail end of this bad boy. So before I go, I wanna remind everybody that we're having a special right now. It is only good for one hour, one minute and about 30 seconds, and that is use the code LIVE. that's A-M-A-L-I-V-E, to get 10% off. We have a bunch of new items in the store, so go check out our store at shop.impacttheory.com. Uh, we are busting ass, and my boy Will Vu, Will Vu, who just turned 19 <laughs> yesterday, uh he has been spearheading the effort to create new and amazing clothes. And then Lindsay, Lindsay, who's done the photography. The photography's live, right? Oh man, this photography's amazing. She is a community member here at Impact Theory and without even talking to us, bought some of the clothes, did a photo shoot with this amazing woman who has an incredible story, which I think you can learn more about on our website. Um, so go check it out. But Lindsay, what's the name of her photography company? Lindsay Han Photography. Lindsay Han Photography. H A H N? H-A-H-N, yeah. H-A-H-N Lindsay Han Check it out. She is an amazing photographer. It was such an honor to have her come and photograph us all. And might I say, the photos of my wife. Holy hell. Lindsay as a husband. Thank you. Uh, they are breathtaking scorchingly hot, amazing, uh, so thank you, thank you, um, and for everybody out in the community, like Lindsay, that has made offers to uh, bring value to us behind the scenes, thank you all so much, we, uh, man, we are honored, it's absolutely incredible. All right, we have to wrap, guys, thank you so much for joining me today, if this added value, please do share it, that's incredibly meaningful and important, and a reminder, the next time you join us for a live, if you would, the second you get into the feed, comment, greet everybody, that helps us with, with the algorithm to get this shared even farther. If you haven't already, um, please do sign up for our email list, which you can go to impacttheory.com right now. Get on our newsletter. I write them myself. Uh, These are all, guys, if it says it was written by me, it was fucking written by me. Um, That goes for every like, thumbs up, all of that stuff. The newsletter, it is all 100% me. Um, Anytime that I work with a ghostwriter like I'm doing on the book that I'm writing right now, I will full disclose that shit. Um, So, yeah, the newsletter is me for you guys. It is probably the most, the thing that I feel most intimately connected to you guys on. I'm thinking about you. I'm holding you in my head when I write that. So go sign up. Uh, Would be amazing. And until next time, my friends, be legendary. Take care.